that their play on the field put them toward the back of the line. Kaiser doesn't see him. Ball is out. There always seems to be one team further behind. gang welcome to the brown notes podcast where we let them rip on the cleveland browns my name is scott and my name is jim schwartz i mean rico jim congrats on the uh big press conference win you're the toast of the town yeah man i mean listen okay i'm glad you we're gonna get this out of the way how many times have we listened to a new coach do his opening presser and everybody you hear nothing but that he gets us running through a wall for this guy he wins the presser he'll never pay for another meal in cleveland after that presser right how many times have we heard that man like i don't even i can't even count them all anymore yeah he went off the uh the he gets us meter, no doubt about it. Um, <laughs> you know, although I think if there's anybody who who could get us, it's him because like he started his NFL career here in Cleveland. So I suppose from that perspective, yeah, I mean it's valid, right? But it's yeah. valid on both sides. It's like you can't blame a fan base that's you know been starving for uh-huh. anything positive. The season was a shit show. And you can't blame a fan base that's had so little to celebrate or be proud of really since the team came back. Um, you can't blame us for always getting hooked. I mean, it happens every fucking time one of these guys comes out. And listen, I'd rather he, quote, won the press conference than went out there and just shat the bed, you know. Um, but having said that, you know, it's it's just a sad commentary on the state of the franchise when this is like our Super Bowl, right? A coach comes in and talks about 19 fucking 94, dude. That was a long ass time ago. And that's three quarters of the fan base. What's left of us anyways, weren't even born yet. And can I remind Browns fans or maybe educate those who weren't born yet? This town hated that regime. If you listen to that press conference, you would think that that Belichick regime in Cleveland was the most beloved, like it was the Schottenheimer or Retigliano or Blanton Collier or, or Paul Brown. It wasn't even Forrest Gregg. That that regime was hated. People would chant, Bill must go and beat on the walls of the building. They wanted him gone. He cut Bernie Kosar. That regime was hated. So all those guys you hear about, oh, they had Nick Saban. They had Eric Mangini. They had Jim Schwartz. They had Phil Savage. They had all these great minds, right? They were all hated. Browns fans hated that regime. They had one winning season, and the fans 
never fell in love with the team the year they went 11 and five they never connected with the team because it was mark Rippon at quarterback and Vinny testaverde and a hell of a defense but no one connected with that team you know gang listen people hated belichick everything that scott just said is absolutely correct nobody on the radio and nobody on tv nobody has ever mentioned this but what he is saying is the truth especially when Belichick waved bernie kozar everybody was ready to hang the dude and nobody liked this coaching staff at all and so it's funny to listen to everybody approach this presser when he talks about that regime that everybody hated and everybody had put on their nostalgia hats now. And it was like, Oh man, those were the good old days. You, you, you became a Jim. You became a man here in Cleveland. Good on you, mate. Let me go buy you. No, that's not how it was, man. Everybody hated those guys. You are. I'm so glad you brought that up because nobody else has mentioned that one single time. It's so funny in hindsight, hearing everybody just wax philosophic about how great the Belichick years were that they, the Browns, the, you gotta listen, it may be just be hard for people to understand who didn't live it, but Bill Belichick at the time was the youngest coach in the league. He was in his thirties. He was an asshole to everyone. He was an asshole to the media. He was an asshole to the players. I can remember players saying this, and these players were coming off of the Schottenheimer and Lindy Infante, Bud Carson era of the Browns, right? And so it was a different feel in the building. And when Belichick came in, he wouldn't even acknowledge people in the hallway. He couldn't make eye contact. He was not a player's coach, okay? This was a guy that made people feel uncomfortable, all right? his He was one of the first guys. All the coaches do it now, but he was the OG who would get up there in a presser and not say a goddamn thing and treat the media with utter contempt. He was hated. And so, and I mean, and he does the same thing now, but the difference is everybody thinks he's cool now because he's got seven rings, right. but back when he did this, he was the same guy then. And, and, you know, kudos to him for sticking to his guns on his personality. But right. back then he was just an average coach trying to learn how to be a good football coach yep. and he was still an asshole. So he didn't have success to back up his assholeness and to make yep. it okay now yep. it's cool and he's fuck he's the goat he learned now. it yeah he learned it but but back then you were absolutely right man nobody in cleveland liked any part of that football staff so it's just interesting because and i got to admit rico that i didn't listen to the press conference live but after hearing how great it was i was like all right i better pull this fucking thing up on youtube and i was making dinner it was one of those crazy nights where the kids were running the kids everywhere and i got you know wife says can you throw together something for dinner so i'm making dinner i've got the the youtube the the cleveland browns youtube channel up and i'm watching and listening to the press conference while i'm making dinner and i got to admit I'm still a fan. That's all I am of this fucking team. It it got me, man. I was like, because I mean, I've been suffering. I hate Kevin Stefanski's. I understand the press conference isn't the be all end all. I get it. But Stefanski is so steadfast in his, he's just a robot and he is unflappable. It's the same shit week after week. The sink is shipping and he's saying, 
did I the sink is shipping? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the ship is sinking. And he is saying the same things as when they were 11 and five. I mean, there's just no difference, right? In, in yeah. what he says. And it was refreshing to hear a guy. Listen, you don't have to like, you're not going to give up the ghost on your game plan. If you're careful in a press conference, you don't have to be so robotic. You can, you can be human and still not give away trade secrets potentially to the opponent. Do you know what I mean? That's true. So it was refreshing. And I did enjoy listening to him tell stories about the old Browns. Um, it was, I'm not, I'm, I, I was right there with you. I mean, I, I didn't have the, I'm ready to run through a wall for this guy. Right. But because I've listened to this press, same press conference a hundred times with a hundred different people. And I keep like thinking back to Chudzinski and Freddie kitchens and Pat Shermer yeah. and Mike Petton and, and, um, uh, Butch Davis and Romeo Cornell and, and every other guy that's done this same press conference and that yeah. we've all walked away saying this exactly same thing, but, but it was nice because the guy actually has a personality. Yeah, um, and he seemed to legitimately kind of understand what it means to be a Cleveland Browns fan, which is something that I don't think maybe only Phil Savage and Eric Mangini even had of all the coaches and GMs we've had come through here since 99. I think maybe only those two guys really understood. Does that make sense? It's like this press conference had me thinking a lot. I guess it was just time for whatever reason to look backward because the now is so it's just fraught with so much. Like we don't know what the future holds. Right. Yeah. We're hoping for the best, but we don't know. It's, it's the Cleveland Browns. So we might as well look back again. Right. And it felt like that's what we were doing in that presser. Yep. But it had me thinking about, you know, we, and I said it myself to start the podcast. I said, since 99, when the team came back and what does that suggest? Like it suggests the team moved to another city in 95 and then played there for three years and then moved back to Cleveland. And that's not what happened. But we always say when the team came back, they didn't come back. We were awarded an expansion franchise and we fought for and kept the rights to the name and color, which, which we then basically like skinned <laughs> that new franchise with mm -hmm. the old franchises, history and name and colors. Right. It was like, it was like skinning something. It was like whenever you, um, you know, you know, you skin a website with like, 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 you know, a, a, a website template with the brand of whatever it is you're, yeah. you're making it for. And that's what we did. The team didn't move back. The team that existed here when Paul Brown was here moved to Baltimore in 1995 and it's still there. That's that franchise that those you know, however many years it was at that time, 40 years of draft history moved to Baltimore. And in Cleveland, we had nothing. And we were awarded an expansion franchise that the Lerner regime won. And we started over. And I often think that if we wouldn't have fought for the name and colors. The Cleveland Browns would have two Super Bowls right now. They'd be the Baltimore Browns, but the Browns would have two Super Bowls. 
And we would have an expansion franchise that would be named whatever they wanted to call it. The Cleveland Bulldogs, we heard, kicked around. And that team would have two winning seasons in 20 years. But it wouldn't have the burden of expectations of the history of the Cleveland Browns that we attempted to skin the franchise with. Does that make sense? Wow, that is really a mind-blowing point you just made there. And so it it's it's all we fought so hard as fans to retain the history and the colors and the name but all that did was just put added pressure to live up to that which we as an organization have never been able to do at since the team since the team was awarded we've we fought for something that all that did was just add unrealistic pressure to the organization and it almost would have been better to not have the name and colors right is that what you're suggesting well i from a I certain am, point of view right yes from a certain point of view and look at it this way too we fought for the name and the colors and the history and what's happened is 20 years of 200 football you know and so what we did was trash and take a giant shit on all that history that we fought to keep. You know, when, when we, when we, you go back 20 years, we were actually, you know, leading or tied with all the teams in a division in terms of like, you know, historic, historical records. Right. So yeah. we were either like a few games ahead of the Steelers in wins or a few games ahead of, or tied with the Steelers or Bengals and wins. And now they're ahead of us anymore. because they beat us every twice a year for 20 years right and so That's all right. the records we fought to keep we've actually like lessened their value over 20 years by applying 20 years of really bad football on top of those but if we allowed those records and name to go to baltimore like indianapolis you know did with johnny unitas and all that stuff right then it would have just continued to build on the legacy of paul brown right and that's actually absolutely correct actually would have course corrected from the model years right and right and gotten shit right Man, that is a fascinating point. Someone like, said, and this this is something else that happened. And this is why I'm saying that, like, I don't think the guys in the building now, and I don't think anyone outside of Phil Savage and Eric Mangini had any idea of all the regimes we've had in here, what it what the Cleveland Browns are or mean. And the difference is is that the players didn't either. And here's what I talk about the draft history of the team that was here in the 40s and moved to Baltimore in the 90s. That team had whatever that was, you know, 40 years of unbroken draft history. So every year the rookies come in and they walk into a locker room with veterans that were there the year before and the year before that. And when those veterans were rookies and walked into that locker room, there were veterans greeting them who were there the year, the year before that. And there was mm -hmm. this backwards facing history in time of the franchise of what it meant to be a Cleveland Brown, right? Going mm -hmm. all the way back to Paul Brown and unbroken. So every time those new guys who didn't have a clue that were drafted from all over the country go into that locker room, there was a vet waiting there, a Steve Everett waiting there to say, I've been a Cleveland Brown for a few years, and this is what Ozzie Newsome taught me, you know, when I played with him. And it gets passed on, and that chain is unbroken. That unbroken chain moved to Baltimore. 
Yeah. So and there's no the torch. Instead of That's introducing, right. it introduced Jonathan Ogden and Ray Lewis and all that. That chain continued. That unbroken draft. That those picks that Bill Belichick traded for Craig Powell or whatever it was in that draft mm. became Jonathan Ogden and Ray Lewis. That unbroken draft history, right? Here yeah. we had a brand new draft in a locker room full of guys who had no clue what it meant to be a Cleveland Brown and no one in the locker room from the year before who could tell them. No, because so, there was no, to the torch was gone. It was gone. There, so the, it wasn't, it was like the Steelers are still carrying the torch that, that um, was carried by Lynn Swan 45 yes, years yes, ago. Yes, it's the yes, same torch. Yes. yes. Our torch went to Baltimore and we don't have a torch anymore. Yes. And so, and so you had a locker room full of, you know, Jim Pine <laughs> and basically yeah, like the worst, the worst three guys on the roster of everyone in the NFL yeah. that we inherited. And you had no one in the front office. You had the 49ers front office of Dwight Clark and Carmen policies. You had no one. You had the San Francisco 49ers here who had no idea about Cleveland Browns football. You had a locker room full of guys that were cast offs from the previous, from, from all the other NFL teams. And the NFL didn't want this team to be successful because the Jaguars and the Panthers were successful immediately. And both in year two went to conference championships and they didn't want that to happen again because mm -mm. that embarrassed every owner in the league. So they mm -hmm. made sure this, this expansion team wasn't going to have those benefits. Fact, so you had the 49ers front office and all these crappy players and none of them, and no history waiting for them in the locker room. And then, oh, by the way, the organizations made no effort to uh, reach out to its alumni and make, uh, you know, the only alumni this team has is, you know, Joe Thomas, as far as they're concerned. So, you know, they're, they're busy firing Bernie Kosar. So they make no effort to connect to its past. This, this, the new regime hasn't. So there's just nothing there. You know, so I don't think so. It was nice. So long story, this, this just had me thinking about the past because of the nature of Jim Schwartz's press conference. And it had me thinking about God, we were all so happy to hear a guy who, who worked for a regime that we hated talk about that era of the Browns. And that's how fucking bad the expansion era has been. You know, it's sobering, oh, dude. However, think about what you just said. The torch left. And went to Baltimore, and since '99, we've had no torch, and have felt the effects of that. To 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 shorten your your uh, your take. So now, do you think that the Browns and the or the front office when they hired Jim Schwartz, do you think they had this in mind when they hired him? To now, you've got a guy that was here back then and can now bring a new torch and kind of rekindle that from back then. Cause he was here during that he was still here. And so that's a guy that maybe bridges that gap that when Browns went to Baltimore, now here's a guy that was here before and can bridge that gap and kind of relight the torch that existed back then and kind of bring it into this and in, into this version of the Browns. Do you think they thought of this when they hired him or is this just an ancillary benefit of him being here? Ancillary benefit. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they thought about that. I don't think they think in those terms at all. 
you know. But I mean, but doesn't that now? I mean, and maybe, maybe he thought of that in an indirect way when the first thing that came out of his mouth was to tell a story about when he was here doing his internship. Maybe, maybe he's had some private conversations with maybe his people, or maybe he thought of it on his own that what this organization needs is what you said. And I can do that because I was here before. Yeah. I mean, I think he was just really smart in how he approached the press conference. Cause you can't yeah. sit there and bash Joe Woods. Right. Right. <laughs> you can't do that. Cause then yeah. he's in, indirectly bashing, bashing Kevin Stefanski. And also the, everybody in the room knows he's been a head coach before they're salivating over the way he's addressing the room and Kevin Stefanski is a total flatliner who can't command a room like that <laughs> and so oh everybody was on bated breath the entire press conference yeah so it, it in a way I think it was really savvy of him to talk about the past because he didn't have to talk about the current state of the team which could make his new boss look bad so yeah. You know, I thought it was actually, I think actually he may have, that may have been predetermined on his part that I'm just going to take a little trip down memory lane. I see some familiar faces out there in the press. They'll, you know, there's still some people out there who were working here when he was here last and they'll lap this shit up and it'll steer the conversation away from me having to talk about what the fuck Joe Woods was putting on the field last year. And I don't got to shine any negativity on how Kevin Stefanski ran this shit. And it won't have anybody saying, um, maybe this guy should be the head coach, you know? Yeah. Well, that worked if that's what he was doing. Hey, do you think that Kevin Stefanski realizes the indirect pressure he's putting on Jim Schwartz to be the personality of the coaching staff and B do you think Jim Schwartz cares about that pressure? Here's the thing is as much as I would like, I love the hire. Don't get me wrong, but Rico, why is Jim Schwartz bounced around so much? He, uh, man, because he's the defense whisperer. But yeah, know? but you know when the Steelers had Dick LeBeau, they held on to him for a hundred years. That's a great. It's a great question. I mean, and nobody's discussed that again. Another great point: Why has he bounced around so much? He's been successful everywhere he's gone, pretty much. So then, why wouldn't you want to keep a guy like that around? It's a great question. Does he wear out his welcome? I, you know, um, do, do and maybe the that's one of those things. Yeah, maybe that's one turn of them off he, after a while. Yeah, you know when he mentioned that. He's learned how to do things a little bit differently over the years. Maybe he just rubbed people raw enough too many times to where it just, he wore his welcome out and maybe has learned the hard way over the years and has maybe softened up a tad. So I, your, I don't your, know. Your question was about pressure on Stefanski. Um, do you think Stefanski realizes the pressure that he's putting on Jim Schwartz to be the personality of the team? because that's kind of where we are right now. Yeah, I mean, I think I've thought about this too a little bit because people have been talking so much about Belichick the last couple of days because for whatever reason, we're now looking back on those years fondly. Jesus fucking Christ. Rooting for people this are so fucking weird, People man. forget, man. God, it, it, they, you are so fucking right, man. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, that was the good old days when 
Bilicek was here. He's the guy. Dude, no, that's not how it was. People forget. I, I'm so happy that you brought it up because nobody, whoever listens to this is going to get a history lesson, man, because it was bad back then. Nobody wanted any of those guys around. It was and one everybody- playoff win and every other year was a losing record. But I guess what it, what it made me think about thinking about Bill was that a head coach or being a head coach isn't like it's 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 not unlike any other job to where there's a learning curve if you're new at it and even jim schwartz said in his press conference you just referenced it you know he's learned and and some things he did in the past he doesn't do anymore now so as far as pressure on stefanski maybe stefanski is not maybe he is he's learning on the job and i think that this hire of schwartz and I think this was a giant admission that uh, from the front office and the coaching staff that they fucked up the defense and how they put it together, the philosophy behind the personnel, and that it was a mistake. And that's why they're addressing it now. And um, it's an admission of a mistake. So I think there's a growth happening because once again, in Cleveland, we have new people in the job learning on the job. And so, you know, Pressure on Schwartz to be the personality of the team. Pressure on, I mean, Schwartz is here to help Kevin keep his job. You know, yes. whether or not it entertains you and I or the press, I don't know that that matters, but he's here for one reason. And one. Kevin had to swallow his pride and hire a guy who, frankly, has more experience as a head coach than he does by two years because <laughs> he coached the Lions for five years, right? It's true. And so, you know, um, you know, a guy who's a direct threat to his job, frankly, and to have the humility to do that, it, it can only come from someone who realizes that his ass is on the line. Did you know that um, this, as of the recording of this podcast, Kevin Stefanski is going to be in studio on the fan tomorrow morning in yeah. the studio. He's going to be you on. you think that was predetermined or was that a, a result of the Jim Schwartz presser Ooh, and how much people liked him? That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it. Did you know he's doing a really big show too? Yeah. He's yeah. going to be in he's studio. Go, he's on going on a he's going on a personality tour now. But it's like that's interesting. I didn't make that connection. That's an interesting take because honestly there's no reason for him to do it. You know, typically, you know, the the playoffs are still going on. The season is still active. So they're not like in, you know, post season. He didn't do, he didn't do this last year, did he? I don't recall. He didn't go around in the studio i feel like this is like man i have to i have to be a person now because everybody likes him better than me and that could cause problems <laughs> I, you know what i'm saying it sounds kind of high schoolish but i i mean i can't see this any other way because he's what incentive does he have to go in studio on two different radio stations for a few hours each other than to remind people that he's a person well, let's and be he never cared about that before. Well, let's think about this for a minute. His his media appearances weekly consist of whatever programming that the Cleveland Browns put on the Cleveland That's Browns right. network. So he does like the coaches show with Nathan Zagura. But again, this is all Pravda. This is all state 
sponsored media, right? And this those is all- questions are not the questions that Zagura asks him are freaking they they've been they've been run through 17 different Browns office offices to make sure that they're right. as vanilla as possible. But let's not forget though that WKNR and the fan also broadcast the Cleveland Browns games and are the affiliates of the Cleveland Browns locally. So they essentially also have a relationship with them. Ken Carbon works on the Browns radio network, yes. you know, and so does Gerard Cherry and a mix of guys from those stations. So I'm guessing it's going to be, there's going to be no hard hitting shit. They're going to try to humanize them and yuck. One of them, it's morning radio for fuck's sake. It's going to be in full buzzard morning zoo mode and there'll be oh slide whistle and everything else. And it's, <laughs> They're going to be fucked. It's going to be Lanigan and Webster for all, yeah. all over again. <laughs> they're going to try. They'll do knuckleheads in the news and they're going to try to, uh, they're going to try to humanize Stefanski and it's, it's going to be awkward. You know, they'll ask him what his favorite cereal is, you know, hard hitting shit. Right. But I'm just dying to know the premise behind this. Like how, how, and why did they cook this up? Because I guarantee you, he would rather have a fucking needle in his eye than to do this shit tomorrow. Oh I, yeah, I no doubt about you that. Especially because the team went seven and ten. I mean, I'm not laughing. I, I'm not happy about it. <laughs> you know, I don't want, and and I don't really. I guess in in this, we talked, we we had texted about this briefly. I, I guess, do, do I really, do I really care that he's a person? I mean, nobody fucking cares that Bill, Bill Belichick's not a person. Nobody cares about that anymore because he's a winner, dude. And do people only care that he's a robotic non-human because he lost 10 games this year no, if they exactly went to the, that's if exactly they went to the playoffs it. would anybody fucking care that he's a robot no, nobody no not at all people would love not it the yeah. all the all the problems with the cleveland browns the broken draft history the lack of getting cleveland uh, all of this stuff it all comes down to losing. All this team has to do is fucking win and win not sporadic like one one-offs like they had in, you know, 2020 and whatever Joe Thomas's rookie year was, 03, not one-offs. They have to actually win consistently for a number of years. And I'm not even talking like going, you know, they don't have to go like you know, fucking 15 and two. I'm saying if they can just be like 500 and above, like for multiple years in a row and just get the damn franchise consistently pointed at winning, you know, that will quell all this shit. People won't sure care will. anymore. And all the, the bullet that I, I send this to you on purpose every week, because I know it irritates the fuck out of you about what goddamn uniforms they're going to oh, wear on yeah. Sunday. Nobody would give a shit if they were winners. Oh, I'm so tired of the, the sturm and drang around the Browns uniforms. No one complained about the Browns uniforms when Bill Belichick was the coach, when Bud Carson was the coach, when Marty Schottenheimer was the coach, Sam Rattiglia. Nobody cared. I got news for you. The Green Bay Packers have butt ugly uniforms. <laughs> the same uniforms they've worn since the 1960s. No one fucking cares. Because they've they had don't. Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers for the last exactly. 40 years. I, we've said a thousand times they could wear fucking burlap bags and nobody would give a shit if they were winners. No, but we cares. have all this bullshit about, oh, they're wearing the orange pants this week and the brown oh, tops. I hate it. 
because you have to drum up some interest because yep. the football games aren't interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the burn, the thing that burns my ass the most about it. And it's just like, I feel like I'm going to go through this, this entire off season. I'm going to say this again and again and again until it changes, but there's no fucking reason why I just said the team needs to win and it doesn't even have to win Super Bowls. It's just got to consistently win for a number of years in a row to get the ship righted that there's no reason in hell why this team should have finished under 500 the last two seasons. None. No reason. But this roster, last year they should have been over 500, and this year they should have been over 500. And if that was the case, you'd have three straight years of the Browns under Kevin Stefanski being 500 and above, and one really good year at the playoff appearance, and it would feel like the ship was finally righted, and we were getting past these these twenty years of losing double digits and being perennial losers. It's not you're not turning a canoe around. It's a fucking aircraft carrier. It takes a while to turn it around, but you got to get it moving in the right direction for a number of years to really get it like solidified. You know, I totally agree. Let's start. Let's start with two winning seasons in a row oh my two god year, two years in a row where they win more games than they lose could you imagine i, I, I would probably poop myself if that when happened. was the last time know it happened <sighs> has that ever happened since 99 no you got to go back to the 80s no because they went to the playoffs with um tim couch and the guy who was the backup and they lost the steelers game because dennis Northcutt dropped the pass so did that, Butch davis have back-to-back winning seasons is what you're saying. i don't that i'm i'm get what i'm saying is, is i don't think those were back-to-back winning seasons because then they that year they Maybe went 10 7 i don't know they had a nine to seven year if if it was it's been almost 20 years since they had back-to-back winning seasons. No, I think it's been a one-off. I think they've had three winning seasons since 2000. See, that's what I think. Since I think it was the playoff year, the 10-7 and seven year, and then a couple of years ago when they went to – so they've only had three winning seasons, I think. I think, yeah. Since 1999, yeah. and none of them were back-to-back. Let's no. start with back-to-back winning seasons. How Can we do that? it? I fucking hope so. Can we do it? There's no reason. I mean, I'll just beat this drum forever with the talent on this roster. There's no reason why they should have. They should have never had losing seasons the last two years. They, they chose that shit. They, they, they chose that shit. They should never have lost ten games this year. No, they chose that's that a, shit because it wasn't about winning. The whole year wasn't about winning. No, I mean, it, it was. Just wasn't. But did Joe? Did Joe Woods fall on the sword for them cashing the season in? Uh, yeah. Or, I mean, they, or did he actually deserve to get fired? No, he deserved to get fired. I think they all deserve to get. If we went over this, I think they all deserve oh, for sure. But, oh, I agree. And, and dude, the, this is it, man. For Stefanski, this is it. This oh, is his yeah. last stand. It's either he's either going to have a winning record and go to the playoffs, or he's going to get fired. Well, have you? I mean, you've peeped the teams though, right? That they're playing next year. Uh, no, I have. The schedule yet. looks really favorable. It looks. It looks cakey and here's the thing that no one ever talks about when we look back on all these seasons i'll beat these this drum too freddie kitchens i didn't like him as a head coach but the schedule he played was brutal and they went six (laughs) and ten kevin stefanski's first year as head coach when he went 11 and five and one coach the year the schedule was cake 
It was so easy, man. It was a it was a cupcake marshmallow schedule. I know. And then last year it was tough, and this year it was tough. Yeah. And next year it's cupcake. Well, so, maybe I mean, we uh maybe we take our first pe- next week we take our first peek at the next year's teams. Oh, it's a cupcake schedule next year, at least as it looks now. I mean, granted, no one's drafted or had free agency or fired their coaches or whatever, but (laughs) it looks it looks cupcakey right now. And it looks like really favorable, a good, you know, favorable schedule for a team that's trying to figure out whether or not it can score points. You know, so now we have the new cool defensive coordinator that everybody likes more than their head coach we've got a head coach who doesn't give a fuck about being a person but it's going on this personality tour starting tomorrow morning and we'll see how that goes so that's kind of where we are right now we're having the battle of the personalities now because they don't fucking win so we have to focus on being a person instead of focusing on winning football games so that's kind of the state of things right now we have to focus on 1994 yeah, yeah, we have to focus on the the fucking turkey sandwich story and and Jim Schwartz's unpaid internships <laughs> when he lived by the airport. I, I don't. It's it's a cool story and this press conference is awesome. But let's tap the brakes a little bit on the he gets us and let's run through a brick wall for his press right. conference. Let's right. just win some football. Let's win. Let's win more games than we lose next year. How about yeah, that? Let's remember that those Belichick teams weren't any more successful than any of the other regimes we've had in here since 99. No. One playoff appearance in five years. That is correct. And for everybody, once again, who's putting on their nostalgia hat, you need to remember how much everybody hated that staff when they were here the first time around. So... All right, Rico. Well, I bitched and complained. Thanks for tolerating it. (laughs) I'm here for you, man. The doctor is in. All right, gang. Go Browns. Go Browns. Cleveland Browns. All day, all night.